Sandy and I so enjoyed this podcast because it was a visit with old friends, but we forgot to ask them for their website. So rather than you folks having to get a hold of us to find out what their website is, I'm putting a couple bumps in here to let you know that you can find Guy and Ryan at www.wildhorizon.co.za. There we go. We're live. live. We're, we're live with South Africa. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we were just saying 10 years ago this wouldn't have been possible <laughs> welcome to scuttlebutt podcast i'm rich mellon and uh this is actually more got to do with our other series our hunting series married to the hunt right and we are live with uh, south africa and with guy and ryan swart ryan are you uh, yeah. moving things around there you didn't want your dad to be on screen or <laughs> We got a recording box that uh, that came up and wouldn't go away, so we couldn't see you at all. Oh, oh. We, we're fully on track now. Technology, technology. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it is. Um, what what was uh, kind of prompted this was our Facebook memories have been coming up from 2019 when we were last over to South Africa to see you folks and. Uh, because of the last year of crazy and that we can't uh, can't travel, can't do anything. Uh, we were we were very much missing being able to go to to go to South Africa and and go hunting and travel with you folks. And so that's what prompted us to to want to reach out and do this podcast. Yeah, well, we miss you guys being over here incredibly. It's uh, there's so many so many things we want to show you, and so many things we want to do with you guys. And and uh, we've got some really nice nice concessions we want to take you to. Um, in fact, next weekend, I'll be heading up into one of those remote areas. Um, and I really, really wish you guys were here. It's, it's just ridiculous that you can't be here. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, we've even went so far as to, as to get the, the, the uh, vaccine, the, the, the jab. And, and the reason being is that we're getting a little bit long in the tooth, as you can see by the gray. And well, I am not sad. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to waste another three or four or five years uh, waiting for all this to, to get straightened out. So we're, uh, we're, we're going to be ready. When they open the border, we're going to be ready. We're going to be able to travel. Yeah, Rich, we we very much in the same boat. We are hoping also to start uh, with our vaccination program in a, in, a, in a more sort of complete form in South Africa. A lot of us are, are, are getting the, the vaccine at the moment. And news is that we will be able to travel once we've uh, had the, the jab as well. Um, they're talking about the EU opening up to us coming there and the states opening up. Um, so let, let's hope. Uh, we, we'd certainly like to get over to Canada as well in, you know, in March next year. And um, we what we're finding at the moment is that, funny enough, the Americans are coming to South Africa extensively to hunt and, and Russian folk as well. Um, the Canadians and the, and the British are, are not coming and obviously the Europeans have not been coming to the same extent. Um, but certainly the Americans are, are coming over extensively to hunt at the moment. They have a better vaccine program down there. Canada is like a third world country for the, the, how we're getting the vaccines. Where I think we're actually elbowing a lot of third world countries in the corner as they would say in hockey <laughs> so that we can snatch their vaccines <laughs> yeah 
um, what's interesting is that the the folk from the states have been coming even prior to them getting their jabs. Um, so they, as long as they have a negative test 72 hours before coming here, and do the same on returning to the states, they can they can travel here, um, and that hasn't been a problem uh, whether they're vaccinated or not. So you know that that kind of travel is not really held up the hunting from in, in terms of the American folk coming here. The, um, the only the only issue is they have to fly Qatar Airlines or via Doha, which is a pretty long haul. Um, but they get here and they're hunting and you know they're getting back. Obviously with the vaccines it'll ease up even more. Um, they're talking now about reopening direct routes out of the states to South Africa. Oh, um, fantastic! The, yeah, once the jabs are, are progressing. So you're uh, you you are open though for business, like if if you're if the originating country like the united states allows you to travel south africa is open for business you, as long as people absolutely. are negative they can come in absolutely yeah so um a number of outfitters are very busy um those that did market in the states and and uh, the in russia in particular seem to be you know hunting in south africa but we're open for business there's a lot of game around. <laughs> the game seems to be proliferating. <laughs> the trophies are running around, presenting themselves. Uh, Ryan's been, um, he can tell you, he's, he's uh, had a few weeks of extensive hunting with, with local South Africans and with uh, Americans. So it's been, yeah, it's very been interesting. Yeah, well, he, he's as hard... He's as hard as the Black Death on it on animals. That guy, you don't need <laughs> you don't need anybody coming into South Africa if Ryan's around. <laughs> yeah, and with last year, last year no one was hunting. Even South Africans weren't hunting last year, so the game populations really went up. And as my dad said, the trophy animals are all over the place. So we've had an absolute ball this year because the animals have been everywhere. And they've been, they've had no pressure either. Um, it's almost like starting new, hunting new farms. It's been a lot of fun. Wow. So there's animals that you didn't, that, that have, have really changed in that year's time or, or have uh, the trophy quality has gone up. It's amazing. Uh, it's, it's had a surprising impact just one year of, of no hunting. Yeah. yeah. Like one I single think, year, yeah. that, that's astounding. Yeah, and well, you can imagine there's a the number of folk that do come over to hunt in, in, in South Africa. And last year we were pretty much closed for business completely. So you know that was an awful lot of folk not not hunting in, in South Africa. And um, yeah, the, the net result is that we've uh, there's a there's a lag in the takeoff of of, of the game all over the place. It's uh, yeah, it's fantastic to see. I wonder if the same would be in North America, you know, because a lot of the, a lot of the sheep hunter outfits and whatnot, they cater more to the uh, Americans and, uh, and probably some Europeans as well, I suppose. But I wonder if their trophy quality has changed any. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah. I've just, in fact, this past weekend, um, we, we spent at a, a reserve inland of, of East London, it's about 36,000 acres. And Rich, it's crazy. We, we were the only people in the place. And <laughs> number of black rhino, they own the, so they have a, 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 a buffalo, rhino, and a lot of the plains game. But this particular area is purely 
conserved as it has been there historically. The reserve was probably formed about 30 to 40 years ago, and they've made no um, ecological changes, excepting that they made sure that they took off anything that didn't occur there naturally. And reintroduced game that did, it was no longer in the area. But it's, it's, it's absolutely wild. Wow. And we must have closed in on at least 16 to 17 black rhino this weekend, um, <laughs> getting 20 to 30 yards from them. And it's such a nice thing to see. They, they, they're absolutely wild. It's, um, it's crazy. And, and as I say, we, our group, the six of us, were the only people in the entire place, uh, 36,000 acres. Um, we, and we closed in on buffalo, uh, black rhino, and then all, you know, we saw the plains game, kudu, and the, those sort of things. But it was really, really nice to get that close to all the black rhino, which is a, it's a pretty unique thing because generally white rhino are what you would see if you were traveling in South Africa. The black rhino are in the thicker bush and, you know, less common. And uh, yeah, it was really great to, to, to be able to, to experience that. And it's, uh, it's something you guys must do when you're here again. We'll, we'll take you in there. You go creep, creep up on some black rhino. <laughs> Listen, we kind of crept up on a white rhino pair when we were there two years ago and it, that was a I didn't know they were there. She was a little freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think you and I talked about this guy was uh, I was reading uh, Frederick Salou and he first came to South Africa in I believe it was 1874, maybe a year or two before that. But he was a professional hunter and, and traveled through South Africa and, and they were all, they were ivory hunters killing, killing mm -hmm. the uh, elephants. There. But back then the black rhino was far more populous than the white rhino. Great. And that the, the white rhino has profited from uh, farming, from farming, from agriculture. Yeah. And yeah, look, white rhino are, are, are easier to manage and, and easier to control. Uh, black rhino is a bit more aggressive and, and, and you know, spends more time in thick bush. And I think the, the black rhino was more aggressive toward those hunters in those days. So they, they got hammered quite hard by those guys. I mean, they, Salou and those guys would just shoot four before breakfast in case you know, they, <laughs> they, they weren't too particular. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really great to see these populations here at the moment. It's, it's, it's fantastic. So this... Um reserve that you're in today uh, or on the, the last couple of days, is it a, a, an area that's going to be hunted or were you hunting? We weren't hunting, but it, it is possible to hunt there. Yeah. Okay. okay. 36,000 acres. People have no idea the size of some of these places. You know, that's gigantic. Yeah, but And, and the, it, it's so impressive because it's, it's got very few roads. So you, you, you literally, um, it's, it's just a massive wilderness, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's special, really special. Um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta see it. I, I know the one place we hunted with you, um, Mandalay, mm -hmm. and we would be up on the, up on the one hillside, uh, you know, uh, the, the valley fl floors below you and, and, uh, you, so you're up on, on pretty good ridges there, but as far as we could see, as far as we could see, what was all was the area we, we could hunt. We could see for miles, miles yeah, and absolutely. miles, you know, down through the valley floor, up the other side. I mean, it was all height of, if I understood uh, Clint right, it was all height of land was, was, was the boundaries in that. And it was, it was just astounding how, how big that area was. That. 
Yeah. You could yeah. even see yeah. where breakfast was. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right, so the, the, you know, I think what we're hoping to see, you know, once things open up again is a, is a fair amount of interest. I, I, I think the guys are chomping at the bit to get back to South African hunt. I know that I said that certainly the guys from the UK are, and I'm pretty sure the Canadian guys are. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's going, it's going to come right. This thing can't go on forever and ever. And we, we're hoping in the next, uh, six to eight months that there's a bit more movement around the world and guys can start coming in. Yeah, we're hoping the same. Um, the uh, two years ago memory that came up in my Facebook here a couple of days ago was us getting on the plane in Calgary. And, um, I, you know, hunting is very important to us when we, when we come to South Africa. But for a lot of people, uh, they also want that sightseeing experience as well so our first stop that was arranged by you guy was to go up to victoria falls and i'll be posting some of that on my facebook page when i when my pictures and stuff come up but that was that was really unique and and a lot of fun and then from there we went to kruger national park which you can't even take a gun in there with you um so all of that had to be in storage and and whatnot beforehand but i think it's an important thing to to make people aware of is that it's not just the hunting, although that's what's most important to many of, well, to us, but to also a lot of our, our friends and, and um, acquaintances that want to come for a genuinely really good hunting experience. They also want to see some of the other things that maybe they wouldn't hunt you know and so that you know kruger and and some of that is is just so important too yeah yeah sandy that you know facilitating that is is um, is very necessary and it's really good fun you know you you just see a whole aspect different aspect to purely hunting grounds um and the uh you know the cultural side the fishing side and the, the game viewing side is a massive part of what we do uh, as I said, this place that we were at this weekend would really love to, to show you guys that because even in Kruger, you, you won't see those populations of black rhino, you know, it's in, in, in the wild. It's, uh, they just, we didn't see um, one. It's, it's ridiculous. Did we see a black uh, rhino? Yeah, they were, they were 918 oh, yards yeah. away. We, we saw were, them. <laughs> we were up right. on a, on this outlook, this very high outlook and there's a huge plane out below us and there, my, the Zeiss binos would range them, but it was 918 yards to them. That was the only rhinos we saw. couldn't get a really good look at them. No, that was the only, only <laughs> rhinos we saw in Kruger. <laughs> we, we, we were at one stage today, 15 yards. <laughs> oh, that's kind of close for comfort. Yeah, that is, that is fairly close. Yeah, everyone was a little bit anxious, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, Sandy was, for her, it was always a, a giraffe. That's what she wanted to see so bad was a giraffe. And you... You took us to a spot where we could see a draft, I believe, on the first first trip. And she said, next time we go back, I want to see lots of drafts. Well, after we'd seen about the 900th draft on the first day, I said, have you seen enough drafts? <laughs> well, you know, like Kruger was just like there was a lioness that walked right in front of our vehicle on the road and never paid us any mind. I mean, that's just not something you just see. Yeah. So... 
there and there was lots of experiences like that that you just I, they're just once in a lifetime things i i like the uh hyena that trotted down down the road but passed us with a chunk of spine in its mouth you know it was like, <laughs> <laughs> always good those those animals impressed me i i was surprised at how heavy they were how dense they were a, a hyena you know they uh i had this impression that they were a smaller jackal kind of animal but they are a big animal no no that's a that's a big it's a huge animal and they they're exceptionally strong i mean they're they're, they're, they're powerful animals yeah they, they they say that their bite is stronger than a lion's bite yeah yeah, yeah. wow yeah. well we're missing now, ryan over here too because i mean two years ago um he he stayed when you originally came in march for the boat and sportsman show in edmonton and uh and got a little bit of experience on the west coast with some other friends and then he came and chopped wood and <laughs> did a whole bunch of other things at our place well he wanted to skin he, he wanted to yeah. skin well i showed him animals that were pretty strange to skin for for him <laughs> yeah. it's all experience so hey yeah <laughs> well yeah. it was actually interesting um and surprisingly skinning all those fur bearers has made me quite interested in in the different ways that we can do our animals now. And because uh -huh. of that, I've got a, quite a few lynx and jackal tube skins hanging off the wall. Oh. Um, yeah, because it's it's something that we don't do. And it's quite interesting to, to see how you guys do it and bring it home. So interesting yeah. then, um, if you have those link, uh, the lynx and the jackal over there, can you have them tanned? Like, would people be able to purchase them and then bring them back? Or the lynx probably, would that need a CITES permit? No, it won't. Go back with all your taxidermy. Oh, well, that's really good to know because, um, you know, when we were there uh, back in 2011, we saw a lynx. Yep and and we had set up to try and hunt it but it i don't know where it give went. us a slip <laughs> yeah, yeah, gave us a slip. Uh, and then when we were there in 2019 there were um there were links that had killed a a, a goat a goat on, on mandalay, mandalay. Yeah. and but we i guess we kind of got fleeting glimpses of them but that would be something interesting probably for some of your clientele as well i would think how, co how come you haven't sent me any pictures of these <laughs> uh, of these case skinned animals i have i would love i i thought you hadn't done any of it i would i would like i'd like to uh, see some <laughs> i'm waiting to waiting to get them back most of them are still lying in the salt at the moment oh we okay. have the, don't have the climate to dry off the skins like you guys do yeah so everything has to go in salt first of course so most of them are still in the salt yeah that makes sense yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to be here very long to realize that we're pretty dry <laughs> yeah. yeah i'd say and Rich, yeah, speaking of trophies, that, that whole thing of the UK government banning trophy import is also going to be really messy for, for, for the, the guys from the UK. And, yeah. and, you know, we're really hoping it doesn't set a precedent or that the, the, the rest of the world doesn't start following their intentions because that will have a devastating effect on, 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 you know, our industry and, and on, on the whole ecology in, in this country because you know, if we if we can't maintain these big areas with with hunting income, they're going to revert back to stock stock farming. Yes. Um, and and that's you know one one's just got to really hope that other governments don't follow suit. And well, firstly, one's got to hope that the UK government review it 
and 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 don't get involved in banning you know it's crazy that that countries um so far removed can dictate to to african countries um to such an extent you know we we need to manage the wildlife here and part of that is hunting and trophy hunting and it's just not going to go down well if the, if the governments and the rest of the world start banning the import of trophies to their countries. It's been a real retro kind of thing. It's, you know, it's back to when um, a lot of African countries were, were part of the British empire, so to speak, right? Where, where Britain dictated what was going to happen. And now here we are in yep. uh, 2021 and we we're reverting back to some colonial of those rule. colonial rules. It, I wonder if that's maybe the, the tack that that African countries should be taking with the British. Here's my thing, though, is the European countries, the, the British countries, all that they have decimated their own wild populations. Yeah. They have destroyed, you know, they, they, they have a tiny fraction of the of their wild forest left. They have no no real wild animals hardly left at all and yet they want to dictate to south africa how they should manage their animals yeah you know like i mean that that is wrong that is very wrong and when you take a look at what percentage of Afri of of south africa is linked to tourism and and it's, and of that of that uh, tourism how big how big a chunk is uh trophy hunting safari hunting yeah, the, 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 the income, I mean, the income generated and the environmental impact, environmental impact of a, of a hunter versus a tourist is, is, is crazy. You know, yeah. the, the, the hunter comes over here, spends a serious amount of money on the conservation area that they, that they're hunting. And, the, and the, the environment, the impact on the environment is minimal in terms of, you know, vehicles, people per, per site. Um, and, we we certainly can't continue without that trophy hunting. You know, it's uh, well the game can't. Yeah. Well the game can't. You know, and that that's the problem. I mean, already I've seen two guys that owned massive wildlife areas that are now seriously considering reverting back to cattle, um, because uh, you know, well, firstly it started with COVID, and now a lot of their client base was UK based, and they just it's, they almost. Between COVID and this whole thing with the with the trophies being banned to the UK, um, are taking the path of least resistance. Yeah, go back to cattle. Um, and you understand and why people make those see. choices. It's terrible to see because they 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 actually lovely lovely areas that have that are almost pristine again. Mm -hmm. It's taken thirty years to get them back to 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 being pristine. And now they're, they're talking about cutting the game and, and getting rid of all the game and put it into the, in, you know, in, in, and set it to the butcheries in, in, in town and go back to, to beef. And I, uh, yeah, terrible. I uh, saw a comparison and people talk about, well, we can get rid of trophy hunting and we'll just all do photo safaris. And so here was the comparison was that, uh, uh, you know, a farmer or a landowner has has two eland on his land, and and uh, a trophy hunter comes. He stays there. He hunts hunts them for a couple of days. He he kills one of the elands. He he pays for the eland. The meat stays there and and is used, and then then he leaves. Um, a, a photo safari comes through. They drive 
down the roads or whatever. They take pictures. They're gone the same day. There's no income from the animal. There's 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 no protein. There's there, there's none of that. So the the whole the it's one of those straw men where people talk about if we get rid of safari hunting, then everybody will do photo safaris. No, just then you won't have that money there already. Already you can do photo safaris wherever you want, the same places where you hunt. That, that that's not a big deal. But it is twenty percent of of the dollars goes into a photo safari as compared to what goes into hunting. And yeah. you know, you one isn't exclusive of the other. Yet people won't pay those those kind of money uh, just to come take pictures. I mean, why? You can watch it on National Geographic, right? Yeah. I mean, the, no, it. yeah, we just go to. As I say, we, we don't know which way they're going. Um, the guys that I deal with in the UK are terrified that that it's going to go through. They really, really are, um, and they, you know, they all they. They're desperate to get you as quickly as possible so that they can try and get trophies back before this all happens. Mm -hmm. you know, the, Rich, the, you know, the, not the flip side, but I think what one also has to understand is that fortunately hunters have a, a serious, serious passion for conservation. And, and if that does happen, I do know that a lot of the UK guys that do come here would probably still come to hunt because hunting is their, is their passion. Um, and, and maybe just take back a block mounted photo. One's got to hope, you know, um, and, and hopefully those guys remain, you know, as passionate about conservation as they always did and are still prepared to come and, and, and have the experience because really that's what it's all about. Yes. Um, is, is the experience and, and the hunt. Um, as you well know, we take an awful lot of time making sure that good pictures are taken <laughs> of you and your trophies. <laughs> well, but it's more than that guy, you know, I mean, your, yeah. your whole crew there, um, it's easy to just be family with, with your, with your group, but they, take such good care of all of your clients. I know that we're, we're not exclusive in that. I, we hear from others that have- I'm not things. special? No. I'm not. <laughs> no, you can shower in cold water. <laughs> oh! That happens, that happens. <laughs> but, but it's more than just the hunting too. And I just, I, I think that people, forget that um there's so many people that depend on on the wildlife for for living it's not just the outfitters it's everyone it's yeah. it's everyone in the towns that are nearby it's all of your staff whether that's your cleaning staff cooking staff um all your phs it's the taxidermy industry pardon me yeah. The taxidermy industry. Oh, the I mean, taxidermy industry. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, everyone, but I, I think about, you know, when we were, um, it was Mandalay that was closest to Queenstown. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and just going into that little butcher shop, we, we became regulars every time we came through <laughs> Queenstown, we had to stop at that little butcher shop. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, it's just things like that, that we remember. And as we're thinking about two years ago, getting on the plane in Calgary to come your way, all of a sudden we start thinking about those things, you know, I mean, um, 
the little butcher shop, the, you know, everything, everything that just goes into a trip like that. It's not just one thing. It's just such a explosion of experience. I said, I wanted to go buy coffee from the grumpy lady in the oh. gas station. <laughs> Sandy and I so enjoyed this podcast because it was a visit with old friends, but we forgot to ask them for their website. So rather than you folks having to get a hold of us to find out what the website is, I'm putting a couple bumps in here to let you know that you can find Guy and Ryan at www.wildhorizon.co.za. You know, one thing that, that I want to talk about, which is really cool because our our culture has moved on a bit from this, but you guy are a professional hunter and now Ryan you are also a professional hunter this is a, a very cultural thing with with the, it's not just an industry but you it's taken very seriously and and for you to get your your um, certification as a professional hunter Ryan give us a little background about what all was involved that cuz you're more recent than your dad he was probably they still were, were showing best kill shot on a pterodactyl or a tyrannosaurus rex or that back then but <laughs> He's still learning. He's still learning. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah the, getting your cert, getting certified isn't a, isn't a big deal. Um, generally, when you go to to pass all the tests, they assume that you are already accomplished in the field. Um, so it's more of just a short finishing course. But like I said, the, it's if you haven't been doing it for a while, then you're not going to get through. So. In terms of your your theoretical things and the practicals that they test you on, it's not a long time um, and it's not a long course, but um, you have to be relatively experienced to know to get through it. Um, fortunately, I grew up with my dad, so I've been doing it for quite a while compared to compared to other guys my age. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, Rich, I think that, you know, the, the, I don't think the learning ever ends. The, the, you know, the, the, becoming the, the professional hunter involves the legal side of it, um, the, 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 all the sort of theoretical side of it. Um, and there's a the number of exams that are going to be passed and, you know, you've got to qualify. Uh, the, but the, the real apprenticeship starts when, you know, I think before you, before you go there and then really gets going when you, when you, when you finish there. Because that's when you spend time with with guys like Clint and Ian and and people that have that have been doing it for many many years, and you start learning the skills of of not just uh, not just just hunting and, and skinning and tracking and and it's it's also dealing with people and and and, um, and and understanding your client, understanding all the clients, um, and understanding how your client reacts in the in the situations where they're in field you know different different guys react differently when they're on animals um you guys are fairly accomplished hunters we you know we sometimes expose to folk that that are not very accomplished hunters and and that's when when your your sort of talent and your and your skill and your experience comes forward is is when you when you've got to deal with, with folk that are, are Sort of first time in Africa and and haven't done a lot of hunting. Um, classically, we, we we often get folk from the UK that are largely bird hunters or bird shooters, and come over and and they do and they and they want to do you know antelope hunting in, in Africa. And um, 
it's quite it's quite a, a different kind of hunter, a different kind of person. You know, they, 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 you got to teach them how to stalk. You got to teach them where to shoot an animal. Um, you really got to spend time with them before you get you get onto the animal. And it's it's identifying those those situations and knowing how to handle them. And, and making sure that person goes back with the best experience they have, you know, that they could. Um, yeah, and, and that, that takes a, a lot of time and, and a lot of experience and a long time. And Ryan's certainly getting that, those hours in at the moment. 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, making sure that the salt is properly into the skins and the skins have been properly prepared for the taxidermist. Four o'clock in the morning, having the coffee ready for the next day's hunting. All forms part of it, you know, and then, then you've got to identify the animal, make sure it's the right length trophy, get the guy within his comfortable shooting range, get him comfortable to take the shot, you know, because you've got to make sure that the person has the best experience he can. Well, there's two things that I wanted to uh, point out, though, was one was how long was the final test? Wasn't it like five, six days or whatever, Ryan? Uh, tw 12 days. 12 days. Yeah. Okay. Well, see now that that's way different than, than qualifying over here for to, to be a guide. But you you guys are have to know uh, you know all the legal laws and and uh, which they they do here as well. But I mean, you even went hunting during the the, the final test. You had to do yeah. preparation. You had to to uh, be a professional hunter for one and one another that kind of stuff. Um, I believe it was quite a feather in your dad's cap. You you taught the skinning at that course. Right? Yeah, the, the guy who was supposed to teach the skinning uh, <laughs> was unavailable that day. So they asked if anybody else could, could skin a full mount. So I put my hand up and <laughs> yeah, taught, the, taught the class how to do that. <laughs> Good for you. And the, other, yeah. the other thing I wanted to mention was you talked about, uh, one time we were there, you talked about uh, the UK hunters guy and, and, he, and you said they were, on average, they were a terrible shot. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, it took us a while to realize, but they, he said they all shoot shotguns and they're mm. all used to moving game, like the birds moving. And I said, so and I, and I, I thought about it. And I thought, you know, you're right. You know, that, that's probably probably a, a big thing to overcome. So once you realize that you had to adapt for, for their, their situation and you couldn't make the game move, but you could make sure that they understood it wasn't moving and uh, it, it made a big difference. So that That's interesting. I think... What people don't who've never been don't understand is is how much a professional hunter does. Yes. Well, we were talking about that too um, this week, and that just you know you're kind of like a one man or one band of uh, uh, hospitality. hospitality industry, right? Exactly. Like it just like there's everything. You know. Well, I, I remember our first trip to South Africa when Richard peppered you guy with, a, I can't, I couldn't even guess how many questions as we traveled through the countryside and, and you had an answer for everything. And, and that's really important too, for people who may, you know, I mean, we always thought we'd come to South Africa once and now we're thinking about planning our fourth trip. So it happens to people that way, but when you go, you you want to know so much about the area, or we did anyway, about the area and the people and the customs and ev everything. Um, you have to know so much of that on top of just what's related to the hunting and the concession and knowing that 
you know, uh, like we hadn't hunted at Mandalay before and, and this was our third trip, but when we were with Clint, he knew every nook and cranny and around the corner and there's going to be a dam and then you're going to be, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it was so, um, well, it, it just is so professional, but yeah, they have, they have these huge areas and mm-hmm. they don't have to know just one, you right. know, like, uh, they have to know all of these, all of these different areas yeah. and, and they're, they're gigantic and, and, you know, and there are so many different wild animals also in South Africa. How many big game species do you have? Like in indigenous? 41? 32 huntable species. 32 huntable. So, I mean, th- th- there are 32 different animals that have 32 different habits that you have to have, you know, knowledge of and that we're, I, you know, I, we have two different deer here, but uh, they're pre- pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty different that way. The other thing is, is that you are there with the person all day long. You have to have the right kind of personality because good Lord, Clint put up with us for a month, you know, <laughs> seen us every, for every meal, cooked, cooked practically every meal, you know, and, yeah. and, and cook, cook over the braai at night, which is uh, South African uh, barbecue on that wonderful acacia wood, which forever the Africa will be the smell of, of acacia wood <laughs> cooking some meat. And you guys are meat eaters. And that means there's at least three kinds of meat for every meal. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> or a peppermint for lunch. <laughs> oh, get over it. That was one day, one time. <laughs> when you're on animals, you hunt the animals. I, I, give, I have given Clint a bad time about that for a long time, but I had a really nice zebra at the end of that hunt. So... <laughs> It was good. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then you guys also came to Africa um, expecting it to be warm and turkey. <laughs> was that like the major oops? Any the biggest oops anybody ever did was her showing up in Africa without a coat, or or are there some other other good ones? <laughs> not the first and not the last. Don't worry. Yeah, well, good. I'm glad I'm not unique in that. But it was funny because uh, we have some friends who are from South Africa, from uh, Cape Town area. And when I when I said the first time we were going was we were going in June, the first two weeks of June, and she said, "Oh my, you're going to be cold." And I said, "Oh, I'm not. I'm a I'm a I'm an Alberta girl. I can I just about froze to death." <laughs> Only until you took my coat, yeah. and then I was the one without a coat. Yeah. <laughs> <It> happens. <laughs> so you've been talking to me. You've been sending me pictures. You and and Ryan have been uh, going up north, northwest, I believe, to uh, a um, a different area. I, yeah, it's a, the, so it's a, it's it's yeah, a town called Crawford. It's about twenty thousand acres. Um, of of low fenced completely sort of free range hunting. free range free range hunting, so you can only you can only hunt there June through to August, um, which is but it's really really remote and you know it it's a it's a diff, very different to a lot of the scenery that you guys have hunted. That's cool. um, shooting mainly springbok, kudu, um, waterbuck, steenbuck, those kind of things, um, but really really nice and. Uh, remote and quiet and uh, we we uh, i'm headed there next friday ryan's got another hunt uh he's, he's guiding again next weekend 
So I'll be going up myself. Cool. Going for some um, so that's really interesting because um, you hear a lot of people talking about free range and and a lot of people who haven't been to South Africa to hunt and and even you know when when we talk about twenty thousand acres or thirty some thousand acres, um, then then you get people that talk about well we only do free range but I don't believe that they are talking about what the definition of free range is in South Africa. So can you give us a snippet of what that is? When we talk about free range, the, the borders of the farm don't um, stop the natural flow of animals. So that 20,000 hectares, all the animals that occur within it can move freely within it and beyond its borders. Um, on a lot of the farms, the, the game farms that we hunt, the game's limited into the, 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 the hunting area. So the 30,000 or the 10,000 hectares that you're hunting. So free range farms are typically more difficult to hunt because the game's distributed over a bigger area. Um, yeah. I think, uh, uh, I think something that, that, that uh, or a concept that, that is misunderstood. Um, the free range hunting, the, a lot of the areas we hunt are that big that even though they might be high fenced, the, the area is so big that it doesn't affect the natural movement of that, of, of that animal or of those, of those animals. They would only move three or four or five or six or 10 kilometers. And the area that, that, that you're hunting in is much bigger, is far more vast than that. So, so there are fences. They're going to be fences somewhere. Eventually, you're going to get to a fence. Um, you probably find Tanzania, Central Mozambique, um, Zambia are, 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 are the only places that you're really going to get free, pure free-range hunting. Um, in terms of, of the, uh, the hunting in South Africa, uh, in June, July, August, and in conservancies, which is where we, we, we do quite a bit of our hunting, it's all low fenced and it doesn't it doesn't slow the game down you know the, the the game can jump or go through those fences so that's that they're not restricted by by fences uh, as clint says most game if you throw a bucket of water at a fence and the water goes through the game will go through um so you know the, those low fences don't don't restrict the movement of of animals um high fenced areas obviously you do get small but we don't, you know, we don't utilize any of those. We we always work on 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 a basis that the the fences would not restrict the typical habitat of the of the of the animal of the game, and that's pretty much where we are. A lot of the conservancy hunting and the free range hunting in July August is is very much low fenced. You know, doesn't there's no restriction. The animals move. I guess I guess the biggest difference is, is between the free range or the the low fence and the and the the game uh, conservancies is the game conservancies own the animals and they control when they're hunted and the, and the free range can only happen in June July and August right yeah I, 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 for certain species yeah 
So okay. yeah, so not not all species. Yeah, yeah. Generally, so. the species that naturally that historically have naturally occurred in the area um, have a hunting season, um, and the species that were introduced to the area um, will have no bag limits and no hunting season. So depending on where you are in the country, the different animals will have different hunting seasons. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Richard, and yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, as you say, the, the, the high fenced areas, there is more control and, and the game is, is owned pretty much by the, whoever owns that area. Um, but, you know, as, as you well know, um, the, the, the places we hunt are extensive. So. Oh, no, no. Like, I mean, I've, I've just, I have no concern whatsoever. Like, I mean, I have seen what most people, when they talk about a high fence, I mean, they're talking about several acres and, and that happens in, in a lot of places. Uh, you know, there are there are places in Saskatchewan or in Texas and that where they have very small areas that are that are fenced off. I mean, if you technically want to talk about it, the, a mature whitetail buck will live its life in 40 acres. Well, my home quarter is 160 acres. I could have four that lived here in their whole life, you know, and, and never leave here, even though there's not a fence. Uh, I'm I'm I've never been in a situation where the fence played any role what, what, whatsoever. Uh, I, I know that in some in some cases the fence played a role in that you could keep the neighbor's cattle out or that you could uh, uh, I think that we were at that one um, the one place up at the Kalahari there where they were they were trying to stop lynx from getting in uh, so they had an electrified fence uh, but but you know one place we were at where the the uh, cabin was we could drive in 15 kilometers in any direction before you ran into a fence. You know, that's yeah. huge. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't and, care what and, and, and you know, the, the hunting, you, you can walk yourself almost to death before you, before you hit a fence, you know, before you get the animal you're wanting. You can take days. Sometimes you can start wishing for a fence to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we were all pretty flat-footed by the time we left the Kalahari the last time because we'd walked so much. Even Des uh, was was really suffering, and all of us had some kind of an ailment. I think by the time we were finished, it was he, good. he didn't like the sand at all. No, did he? well this. The sand was hard on everybody. I think Clint had a bum uh, ankle and my hip was bothering me, your back. And then I don't remember what Des, I think it was his back that was really giving him some trouble. So yeah. anyway, it was, I mean, it's just, yeah. it's hunting and you're going to run into situations like that wherever you go. Um, if you're, if you're really diligent and you're not just traveling around in a bucky, you know. How is Des doing? No, he's just as good. I don't chat to him the other day. No, he's, he's doing very, very well there. Yeah. No, he's a, you know, he's lucky. He's of guy. course. Sandy and I so enjoyed this podcast because it was a visit with old friends, but we forgot to ask them for their website. So rather than you folks having to get a hold of us to find out what their website is, I'm putting a couple bumps in here to let you know that you can find Guy and Ryan at www.wildhorizon.co. How is Canada at the moment with COVID? Are you are you guys dropping off? Oh yes, yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah, it has been dropping probably the last two to three weeks, particularly in Alberta. Uh, that's really the numbers that we see mostly, and mm -hmm. um, 
And now I think in Alberta, we're under 500 people in hospital. Um, and the numbers have, have really dropped off, even the number of positive tests that are coming um, on a daily basis have been dropping quite extensively. And we're at what? 16? And we are at over, we're at 61 and a half percent of eligible Albertans have had at least one dose of the vaccine. So eligible is um, 12 years and older here. Yeah. Um, and you don't, it, you no longer have to fit into a, an age grouping in order to be able to get your vaccine. It's just whomever. They have employed all of the pharmacies pretty much, which was brilliant. Um, which was a brilliant idea rather than having people come to one central location for vaccines. Now yeah. you can go to a number of different places. And so there isn't a congestion of people. Um, but certainly we've had our first one and that was three weeks ago. And the pharmacist who administered it for us said that he would call us when we could come back and get our second one. So uh, we're hoping that by the time, you know, we're sort of planning for next year at this point, I would yeah. say, uh, um, to be able to buy a plane ticket and come and see you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so the, the, the East South Africa at the moment, um, certain provinces seem to be having a bit of a, a resurgence. Um, in, the t in the whole country, we're looking at an average of about 3,800 new cases a day on average. Our province uh, is sitting at about 80 new cases a day. Uh, we've got 161 people in hospital uh, with eight, eight people in ICU in the whole province. So there are 161 people with COVID in 103 hospitals at, right as we speak at the moment. Wow. Um, which is. And, and so what is. Sorry, what's the population in the province that you live in? I would be lying if I had to tell you. I don't okay. Know the top well, we, we don't we, want that. The whole country is sitting at about 65 million. Right. Um, and and we, we sit, as I said, we're sitting at just under 4,000 new, new cases. But this evening, they're talking about upping the, the restrictions a little bit. Just, it's certainly been climbing. And the, the problem with it is that it does, it does get exponential. Um, so, so they just, they, they are going to come in with a few, a few tightening down. I must say the country has been pretty freed up for the last two, three months. Really, I mean, it's, you wouldn't say that there's a pandemic if you had to drive around. Right. Um, the, so I think it's probably not a bad idea just to try and try and quell this next wave. Um, but certainly our province seems to be not too badly affected at this stage by any means. So um, in, terms of, in terms of vaccines, they're, they're busy with the over 60s at the moment. Um, and it seemed to go pretty well. My parents have had um, a lot of the folk that we know have had their first, uh, their first vaccines. And they, they also are, are doing it at all the pharmacies, clinics, hospitals. So it seems to be happening, you know, and, and yeah, we, 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 you know, we just hope for a speedy sort of vaccine program just to try and get movement through, you know, to the country. Uh, Richie, you know, and, and you probably had it over there, but a, a large portion of, of particularly the, the coastline and our area and the Western Cape are highly, highly dependent on tourism and hunting tourism, ecotourism, that kind of thing. And it, it's just been devastating. Um, well, for, you were saying to me that uh, like 
Clint's wife has horses and they do trail rides and, and that, and it's a big, 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 big business, but those horses eat every, every day, even when there's nobody showing up, you know, and, it, yeah. and that's tough. Well, and it's not only the tourists that come for trail rides is she has a lot of uh, young ladies from the UK that, that um, kind of intern with her that aren't able to be there either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been devastating. So, you know, we, we just need our country and all the other countries of the world just to get, you know, get, get this thing back to normal as quick as mm -hmm. possible. Um, and that's what we, you know, we've got to hope for in the next year. Um, and uh, get you all back here. Yes. Well, and for you, hopefully, to come back to Canada for the Edmonton Boat and Sportsman Show as well. So yep. that, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, though, Ryan, um, are you done your schooling now? Like you're I, I, not, not talking about professional hunting schooling, but your your other studies. No, so the unimportant stuff, then. Uh, <laughs> Because of COVID, where it has actually helped me is um, I've moved on to studying through correspondence, which is purely online. So I can work around the hunting. So if I know that I'm going to be hunting, I'll work ahead for a couple of weeks and make sure that I can hunt sort of guilt-free for a while. <laughs> and then <laughs> of studying when I'm finished hunting. <laughs> You're supposed to be studying right now. Yeah. Well, he is. This is really the study. Of hunting and he's supposed to be back studying. Yeah. <laughs> this is Isn't study. it amazing? Isn't it amazing that when you say guilt-free, how much guilt sounds like your dad's voice? <laughs> <laughs> so tell wow. us about your hunting right now. What you you've been uh, exercising that freshly minted uh, ph card and, and you're doing some some uh, uh outfitting or here we'd call it guiding T tell us about it T you sent me some yeah. great pictures so mostly right now i've been doing local hunts with south african guys um and it's good because they do shoot a lot of animals so it's just time in the field and it's just staying in the staying in the motion and you're still doing the same entertaining and you're still getting new clients and different clients and you're still meeting new people um, and it's just keeping you keeping the hunting side fresh so not forgetting anything um, but it's been a lot of fun you know, and it's for the time out the house and for the time away from the book so can't complain <laughs> and also i think also what's important is uh, because of where he's been hunting the uh, they're, they're very particular about the trophies and, and maintaining the, the genetics. Yeah. So what it is, is the, the farm, the, the area I'm hunting, which is quite a big area, has implemented a, a management strategy where everything we do is from the bottom up. So we're looking for mature animals, the, the smallest mature animals to shoot at a very reasonable price. So for instance, if you see a kudu bull that's mature and finished grain and his horns only measure 45 or 46 inches then you shoot him rather than trying to find a big trophy because as you eliminate the smaller breeding animals that are mature your brackets improve so you're only leaving the larger animals to breed and it's proved to work very very well and this the local hands that we're doing with the south africans it works well for us because or for them because the South Africans aren't very trophy motivated. They're more, 
hunting and um, venison motivated. So they don't mind shooting a mature animal that won't measure as long. So we're shooting a lot of animals and it's all from the bottom up. Um, and it's proving to be, to be working very, very well on that place. Well, that's fascinating. I, I know what you mean, because we, we, we have South African doctors that are friends here and they, they hunt on our place and they are gleeful about shooting a doe deer and they shoot them in the head. Don't matter how far away they are, they shoot them in the head because because they want to make biltong or, or or whatever. They don't they don't want to waste any meat. It's very important. That's that's a, a nice thing to see, you know. What what uh, animals are? Also, pardon me. The, the uh, what, what's critical is that they they they're constantly judging animals um, that of they must be finished. Uh, and below a certain length at a hell of a distance. And, and you've got to spend a lot of time deciding that that's the right animal. You know, I, I think you, you shot on at 400 and some yards the yeah. other day. But all it comes down to is a kudu, which isn't a difficult animal to judge. Um, we look at different profiles. So we take lots of pictures of the game on the farm and we profile them. And what helps a lot is once you've profiled an animal and then shot it to measure it. So to see how close your call actually was. And because they all have so many different horn shapes and um, the tips are always, one's a little bit longer, one's a little bit shorter, or the curls are slightly deeper on one, you get used to a, a specific type of animal. So we're looking for maybe a profile of kudu, which I'm happy to go and shoot, but I don't see that kudu, I see one that looks similar. I'll still know that I'll shoot it, because I've profiled one that looks similar, so they'll probably measure the same. Um, so we spend a lot of time looking, profiling animals, looking at animals, and getting getting your mind into what animal you, you're looking for and what animal you're trying to harvest. So we 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 work at the management program quite quite intensely, and then every animal that we shoot, we we dissect quite carefully as well. We look at how old do we think the animal is with, with the horn growth that it has? How many years does that resemble? How many years do we think it has left to live? How many breeding years does it have left? And that helps to, just by looking at the horns, we already know what a six or seven year old animal is or what a 12 year old animal looks like and which ones we're happy to take out the breeding because if we see a really big animal, but we know that it's a 10 or 11 year old animal and it's past its breeding time, we're happy to take that one out because it's not it's not passing on its genes anymore. So it's it's a big learning curve as well because there's not a lot of places that do that to as intensely as that farm. Um, so you learn a lot about the animal by hunting there. Yeah, it's pretty. So fun. explain to our our listeners how is a kudu finished? At what point is a kudu finished? Like as far as his horns go. His horns on the third turn must either be pointing straight up, be hooking slightly forward, or have turned into an extra turn and be flaring outwards. So a beautiful so, one is like the one that Sandy shot last. The tips were pointing straight up. Um, and you know that that bull is never going to go past that point um, because, because once his horns have gone straight up, they're not going to go past that point. And oh, if okay. you want to still pointing backwards or still pointing in, 
there's generally a chance that they'll they'll lift up and point straight up or that they'll bend outwards again. Um, so they make two curls, right? What, what we're yeah. talking about is that those horns actually make two curls and it's at the top there. So if it's pointing straight up, that, that's done. But if it's got a little, if it's got a little curve one way or the other, yeah. Even better, hook backwards, leave it. Oh, okay. Hook forwards or hooking off to the side, then use a shooter. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. What is your toughest animal to judge? Um, Kudu are pretty tricky. Um, uh, Oryx by far. Now, Oryx is a difficult call. Um, Nyala can be pretty tricky. Most of the spirals are pretty tricky. Um, but I would say judging an Oryx, especially if he's not in a herd, is exceptionally difficult. Yes. Yeah, an Oryx on its own is difficult. Yeah. When there's no comparison, an, an Oryx at three or 400 yards on his own, and there isn't, there aren't, and there isn't a herd around him, is, is, is very difficult to, to judge accurately. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> that's really but cool. that's where those optics come in, eh? Mm -hmm. Quality. optics <laughs> Yeah. I, I don't know what's tough about orcs because we've shot two. They both are great. <laughs> Testament to the professional hunters. Yeah. Well, that was because of Clint. You know, as Clint yeah. said, Clint said. Uh, we were talking when we were hunting mine on the last trip, uh, we were, and we were up at the, the Calhari and we talked about how big ones he's ever seen, and that he's he's never seen a bigger one than hers yet. So <laughs> that and uh, Ardvark. Every time we go, we see Ardvark, and, and he can't yeah. believe that. <laughs> so, so Ryan's, Ryan's binoculars are now tied together with wire. They've they've, oh. they've, they've, they've been through the bush so many times. <laughs> Wire and cable ties. Well, those, those, those last conquests are, are held together with wire and, and cable ties. No. <laughs> yeah. The glass is still perfect. The glass yeah. is still perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All that matters to me. Yeah. I have to get no, them back and, and, and show them. <laughs> they literally held together with wire and cable ties. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> well, I, that, that's the thing, though. I mean, they we were going through pictures that we have some pictures of the wall here uh, and where there's thorns that are that stick out past my hand you know so they're over five six inches long it's like it's so different than than, than the world here you know there's just so many things that are that, that are so unique about about uh, south africa i've got a, a picture in the sand here uh, uh up here and and a lot of people look at it and, and ask what's that picture of it there's not many people that know what it is it's actually baboon but you know they just they it, it's so foreign right and, and that's the cool part about it yeah. is that is that for us it's a very very different place to go right yeah yeah well, well we, we should we, uh, we got lot, we got lots to show you and lots of places lots to <laughs> this is almost really a bad thing to do because now we're really going to be passionate about <laughs> uh, uh, you just you just want to get back in business class to fly there that's all <laughs> it's a long trip it's nice to be comfortable or semi-comfortable i guess you know here, here's the other thing though i want to talk about is is do people understand the costs that are involved like i mean how in what an incredible great deal hunting in africa is for instance uh you've been here uh ryan and, and you've seen uh 
deer in that here. The average whitetail hunt in Alberta is $6,500 for one whitetail. Now, $6,500 Canadian buys you a lot of hunting in South Africa. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's, a, that's, that's a lot of money. Karaki. Yeah. 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 People, you, can, you could have a really good it? time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shoot a lot of animals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know people. People have no idea that. I mean, there's always they always have this idea that it is so expensive to hunt Africa, and, and it's not. It's it's not yeah. at all. And, and well, I I think it could be expensive if you don't go with the right people. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I I think that you know, guy, when when you come to Edmonton, you are not the only African outfitter um, there to to talk to. But in most cases. The um, whomever is manning the booth there is a um, what's the word? Um, He's a broker, a or broker, a represent or a representative. Yeah, but it's not the person that you're going to go hunting with. And so, for the benefit of people who are listening or watching this podcast who've never heard us talk to you or about you before, um, I think it's a really quite a unique experience in in South Africa to be met at the airport by the guy who's going to you know, who first of all saw you at the, at the Bolton Sportsman show and, and corresponded with you, met you at the airport, takes you to your hunting concession. I mean, everything is so very personalized with your, with your group. And you have a, a group of people who work with you, who are longtime um, employees or, or uh, contractors or, or what, how, whatever the situation is. But I mean, it's not a bunch of people just coming and going because this week it was a good, it was a good deal or, or whatever, right. It just, I, I, it can't be stressed enough, I guess that just because you, you get a bargain hunt, um, a, a show special or whatever, it could be more expensive, (laughs) You know, to go on a trip like that. Yeah, we, 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 well, (laughs) there's, there's a bit of an antithesis in this. We, we, we treat, you know, every person um, in a way that they must have the best experience possible hunting with us here. What we do know is that many of them think it's a once in a lifetime trip. However, yeah. it never it's never once in a Clearly not for us. And you really uh, shouldn't tell them that because then, then they're worried about, oh, I shouldn't do it the first time. It's kind of like crack, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't I've, do it the I've first got a, time. I've got a, a, a professor from, from, from a university in Ireland whose wife is very concerned because her husband's had six once in a lifetime. But, you know, I... Every, every person must have absolutely the best possible experience that they can when they're with us. You know, that, that's, uh, that's, what we, that's what we strive for. Here's, here's the thing that I want to point out, and this is so important. Um, and I mean, as people who have hunted the world a little bit, and, and we've, we've been with many different outfitters and professional hunters and that kind of stuff, you folks, hands down, uh, the passion that Ryan was was showing there when he was talking about judging an animal and that mm-hmm. you won't let somebody shoot just an animal, you know, and none of us know what these animals look like. So, I mean, the very first time, you know, that, yeah. uh, that I went kudu hunting <laughs> and, uh, 
Clint walked me by four animals and I would have gladly shot every one of them. Each one of them was finished as you were talking, but they were 40 or 42 inches long. I ended up shooting a 56 inch one, just a gigantic, a giant. But I mean, that's the difference between a 135 inch whitetail, a five by five that's all there and a 170 inch whitetail that's, that's all there. If you only just see that one animal and you don't know, I mean, you could be very happy shooting it and, and then later on learn, learn the truth. But you guys won't let that happen. You guys are all hunters yourselves. And for you, it's the, the, the trophy is just as much your trophy as it is my trophy. And I, my hat's off to you. I mean, you guys have, have, have been awesome that way. And I, I trust implicitly, <laughs> even though we had a situation in Kalahari on the, on the last uh, trip there when, when uh, Clint said, shoot, shoot, shoot. And I had just seconds to shoot a, shoot that orcs that I shot the, the Hemswalk. And it was like, it was way too rushed for me, but I, I trusted him. And it's, it's a phenomenal animal. You, the, I, I, I I'm hoping that I'm expressing here that not many people have ever earned that kind of trust from me, but you guys have. And I mean, you, you make sure that, that people are having the best hunt and getting great animals. Oh, we appreciate that. Well, that's what we strive for. And we, and we appreciate that sentiment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did I talk over you? No. <laughs> no, I, I just think that the that word trust means an awful lot, right? Just, you know, I mean, and we, we have hunted uh, every trip that we've been there. We've been with Clint. He knows us and he still wants or... <laughs> spends time with us <laughs> a whole month at a time with no breaks I think he's a he's a genuinely great person but you know he he trusts us and we we trust him so that when when he says shoot that one that's the one and it was the same with my kudu because we hunted for four days and and whatnot. But then, you know, because we hunt with knowledgeable people there, we're always on the lookout for, for whatever it is that we know he's looking for or whomever we're with, right? So that last trip when we were up and we had to go through the fence um, <laughs> and we were driving up and I, I was sitting in the back seat and I happened to glance over and I glanced again and I said, Clint, can we stop? I saw something back there. And he goes, you know, I saw something too. So then he went over the hill and there was a Buffalo <laughs> and we would have met face to face if we hadn't, you know, taken a bit of a detour that morning for, for something else. But um, you, you find yourself looking for the same things. Although obviously judging yeah. a kudu. Would I, be I love this one though. He says, well, we, we're just going to go down here and we just got to kind of Scoot like a warthog underneath that tree there. <laughs> My butt looked like a warthog? <laughs> no, dear. <laughs> you, got, you got the gun? No, dear. <laughs> no, we've had a we've had a wonderful time with, with, with you folks. And and uh, we so appreciate how, how serious you take this business. Uh, it's terrible what, what's happened with, with, with what's going on in the world. But, uh, you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe soon we can all get back to uh, enjoying some time around the Bry. Yeah, well, we, we certainly look forward to it. And it's going to happen. You know, it's yeah. a matter of time. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll still be here. The animals Good. aren't going anywhere. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> They'll just be bigger by the time we get yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've uh, taken up a bunch of time here. This is, we're well over an hour and 
our yeah, someone someone must get back to his studies uh, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you folks for for spending some time with us and, and we really appreciate it and uh to everybody uh watching and listening we, we just want to take this time to to uh give a little bit of a a, a personal look or uh to what africa is about and why we're so excited about it i i know um uh, this is different than than our, our trapping podcast, but the, you know we we do have uh, married to the hunt our, our hunting series. We have that 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 stuff everywhere. You can see some of our hunts uh, with with these folks, uh, in, and uh, understand why we enjoy going there so much, mm -hmm. and why we've become friends with them. Yes. So we want to thank you, folks. Thanks, uh, guy. Thank, thank you, Ryan. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and it was great chatting. Been really super, we, and we can't wait to see you guys again. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we feel the same. And to everybody out there in uh, podcast land, thank you for joining us. And uh, maybe we'll see you down the line. Sandy and I so enjoyed this podcast because it was a visit with old friends, but we forgot to ask them for their website. So rather than you folks having to get a hold of us to find out what the website is, I'm putting a couple bumps in here to let you know that you can find Guy and Ryan at www.wildhorizon.co. That's it, eh?